At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 2019 NBA Draft is in the books. It was a fun one indeed. A lot more activity than we saw last year. But where I want to start, and I wouldn't normally do this, that's not usually the point of the show, but I have to admit that Zion and then RJ getting emotional in their interviews like kind of got me a little bit. That was just a good reminder for me of you know all the times that we go through these guys' film and we break them down as 18 and 19 year old kids and try to figure out what they're going to be in, in 10 years and mercilessly dissect their games that this is a night just to, to be happy for these kids they have a long way to go and i'm sure we're going to have a lot of argument not specifically about them but just all the players who are drafted in some form or fashion of whether they're living up to expectations or whether they're worth the pick or whether they're good where they're going to be on the prospects list uh, all that stuff but man that was uh that, that one kind of got me a little bit I, I gotta say uh i know danny since you have no emotions you have no comment there but uh no i i mean i love the draft because <laughs> it's it's the biggest moment for a lot of these guys it's the biggest moment of their lives and for many of them it's one of the biggest moments for their family and you think about how transformational it is and just getting picked by an NBA team is such a such a huge moment I loved it I've only covered the draft once it was the 2013 no it was the Har- it was the Harrison Barnes and the Anthony Davis draft so that was 12 yeah, yeah I covered that draft and absolutely loved the experience I thought that it was you know because you get to see a lot of that more because because of all some of it makes TV obviously but some of it doesn't and it really is that and and we will have a lot of time i'm i'm really looking forward to summer league after everything that happened here it's it's really what crystallizes my excitement even though we only scouted 12 of these guys but yeah it's it's a huge moment for them thrilled for not only the 60 but a lot of other players where we are not going to go through those tonight but have gone have signed some form of nba contract with you know guarantees or two ways or something like that so a huge night for a lot of a lot of young men yeah and zion in particular you know he's known that he was going to go number one overall for probably six seven months now or or strongly suspected it and to still see that uh he wasn't really taking that for granted and certainly there's all this talk about oh man these kids are so entitled and aau culture is ruining everything and blah blah but you know that clearly it wasn't the case that these guys were taking this uh, for granted so let's talk about the draft now and i think obviously new orleans they took sign at number one but and pretty much the rest of things went according to plan until number four jean morant at number two and 
RJ Barrett number three but I think the most important moment of the night from our perspective was the trade that was reached for that number four pick that the Pels had recently acquired from the Lakers it's an absolutely fascinating deal from a series of perspectives but one of them is the value proposition here so the Pelicans traded number four number 57 and some future second we haven't gotten the terms on that plus the expiring albatross contract of Solomon Hill to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for 8, 17, 35, and the Cavs 2020 first that's protected top 10 becomes their 2021 and 22 seconds otherwise. So it's, you know, for the Pelicans, it was a move down kind of a bet maybe on the on their board being more flat. And then for the Hawks, presumably, it's a bet that they had DeAndre Hunter significantly above all of the other players in this area, some of whom ended up falling way further than we thought. Yeah, and I think there are things to like and dislike about this trade from both sides especially when you consider the players involved i thought that new orleans was focused on position in a lot of ways with this move but not necessarily in the ways that i would have been they've got lonzo ball and drew holiday They've also got Brandon Ingram and they've got Zion. Those are the four core pieces really that they have in this group. And so you might say around there, okay, well, what do we need? I guess we need a center because we're not going to play Zion at center all the time. And we could use some more guard depth, uh, maybe another wing. And hey, we've got our starting backcourt already. This is our backcourt of the future. We don't need anyone in the backcourt. Well, Drew Holiday, three more years under contract to be sure, but just came off a career year. You don't know if he's going to be around in four years and probably won't be that good of a player in four years when Zion is really coming into his own. Lonzo Ball, excellent defensive stats, better offense than his box score stats would indicate due to his passing the way he pushes in transition. But it could just be that his complete lack of shooting is going to torpedo his career. We, ju- we don't know that yet. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, with him. And then Brandon Ingram as well, another guy who there's some health concerns, also some health concerns with Lonzo, by the way. And his shooting is also a major, major question mark. And then you look at the one piece that you absolutely know is going to be there, and that's Zion Williams. Williamson. And you don't absolutely know, but you're certainly going to proceed under that assumption. Zion Williamson is one of the best prospects we've ever seen coming out of school. So while we usually say, hey, if you're in the early stages of a rebuild, and we'll get to this with the Cavs too, if you're in the early stages of a rebuild, you don't just say, oh, well, we have this guy. We can't draft someone else at his position or we have to draft around him. But this is Zion Williamson. He is not only a great prospect, but he's also a unique one where he's more power forward size. He might need to play power forward at least part of the time. And you have the blueprint for how to build around him with the shooting that the Bucks have and the way that they put this unstoppable offense, at least until the playoffs, around Giannis. And you already, with Ball and Ingram, you're worried about the shooting. And so then, I actually thought Darius Garland would have been a really good fit with what they're trying to do there. Yeah, okay, you got Holiday and you've got Lonzo, but between the odds of Lonzo not being that good or being hurt again, or Drew Holiday just not being on the team, or the fact that your window is long enough that Drew Holiday might not be around for when you need to maximize it, and this number four pick, you can get a, a unique player. They they probably didn't evaluate garland that way but i think most people had him above just about anyone else who was there as did i so i think taking garland 
shouldn't have been the just total non-starter that I think the Pels thought it would be. Now, had they traded down and gotten some other guys who might fit better eventually around Williamson, then I would like it. But I really don't like the fit of Jackson Hayes, who, as you noted, took, what, three shots outside the paint this year in college? I believe it was three, and all three of them were basically, like, right outside the paint. You know, it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like jump shots. And yes, Hayes was a, a good free throw shooter this year, and so maybe there's potential for him to expand his range. But you and I talked a little bit about the comparison of, of Jared Allen, another former Texas big. But you and I also saw Jared Allen at the Hoop Summit the year before shoot a bunch of threes. And like, so we saw the mechanics of his jump shot and all that kind of stuff. And so there were, you could see those constituent elements. And so with Zion, th- what, what bothered me so much about the Hayes pick is, and not necessarily trading down, as you said, like there, there are ways to do this, but the definitive right now, like Zion, amazing strengths, but the definitive, like kind of like question mark slash weakness, depending on how it turns out with him is a jump shot. So committing the resources to a player who doesn't have that in his, in at least his public skill set is, is pretty shocking. And especially because unless they see, and I don't, they see Jackson Hayes as a like a top 10 center using resources on the center position in general is, is like high draft assets is is a mistake but doing so when you have a cornerstone who might end up at center is even weirder yeah or at least at the end of games and sure yeah who, who might play you know meaningful minutes there significant minutes not necessarily start there or anything like that but you know that he might be in your closing five and if zion's playing the five and you're clo- playing center and you're closing five there's no place for jackson hayes and it was said well you know maybe this is you just got to pick the best player available there at the start of a rebuild. Well, number one, I don't agree that Jackson Hayes was the best player available. Some of the analytic translations really liked him. Kevin Pelton's did not like him as much because he, and I think rightly so now, discounts the, the value of a center, particularly a center who doesn't have any special skills. You know, I think Hayes could be a, a pretty nice lob finisher and he can run pretty well in transition. You know, he could be a part of their transition game and block some shots. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a great switch guy. That's another thing that I would say too, if you're going to have a center, part of the appeal of Williamson is his switch ability. You've got Holiday, Ball, Ingram, like all those guys have pretty good size. So maybe you could do a lot of switching i don't think that hayes necessarily fits into that uh certainly he's raw but i don't care about that i mean you know rookies i don't really care that much if they contribute in year one or not so i mean the combination of it just being a center not being a center with like absolutely special skills i think he could be you know let's say he turns into like clint capella someday which would be you know i think that's probably a higher end outcome for him especially in terms of the switchability even that is just not that amazing of a fit to me and you know he's not going to get to that point until three four years from now probably and then he's going to need to be paid and then you have the question all right how much are we going to pay the center to be right next to design i know i'm thinking way far ahead in the future here but remember they didn't do that with anthony davis very well right you really have to i mean especially with all these future resources that they have now this isn't like some fatal pick he might end up being pretty decent you know i mean even at number eight if you get someone who can play that's a win and maybe they just felt that nobody else in that range could play but to me you know a Seku Dumboya, who went 15, we, I think we both thought he should have gone a little higher than that. Uh, you know, just someone else who projects to maybe be able to make a three-pointer someday at any position uh, might have been better. And Well, and yeah. especially considering the necessity for forwards for wings in the modern NBA. Even if a, that guy ends up not being a starter, if they could play 15 to 25 minutes for you, it's incredibly valuable. You can find centers. Like, that's not really yeah. a problem. And that's a great point. You know, you probably need to have 
five or six wings who can play on your team and you need maybe if you're going to play Zion at center a center and a half right, on exactly. this roster and and think about for example like the Warriors had maybe one they had one of the best top wing rotations we've seen in the NBA with with Clay and with KD and with Andre Iguodala they didn't throw many resources into guys behind that. And then when, well, I mean, it ended up being two of those guys go down, but basically the Rockets are one of the only teams we've seen that really got to the point where they almost had enough there. And that was last year. And then they lost a reason in Bob Mute and that became a problem for them. Like it's, I don't think teams can really throw too many resources at the two through four positions right now, especially when there are players who are worth it. Now, are, can there be a circumstance where a center is so much better than those guys? Absolutely. It can happen all the time in free agency in particular. You know, like they're, they're you know, Vooch is getting talked about now. Like Vooch is a really good player. He's better than them, better than a lot of the wings that are going to be available. But in terms of value, in terms of asset management, something that I thought David Griffin did a wonderful job of overall during the draft, but the Hayes pick is really important. And do you want to talk about Nikhil now? Well, I, yeah, I think we, he obviously, we can talk about him he's someone that we have both liked a lot combo guard about six five pretty decent length but skinny you know probably not someone who can guard the three but has shot it pretty well even from the international line going back to to a young age uh, even uh you know i didn't follow his career that closely once he got to Vatek, but seeing him at the hoop summit seeing him at the u18 tournament of the americas I was really impressed by him. Just a steady game, obviously cousins with Shea Gilgis Alexander. So he, to me, fits in with the exactly the sort of player that they might need. And it's a guy who who can make shots, smart player, good character guy. Uh, and then, I, as you said, I think we could talk about this a little bit more. The overall asset play by the Pels, I thought, was excellent. Uh, at to change number four and a future second and number fifty-seven, which is a uh, you know relatively meaningless. Uh, and then you get off of 12 million dollars of solomon hill this year they now have opened up 32.3 million dollars in cap space which is almost enough for a seven to nine year max would they really be in the mix for some of the best players maybe not but they could still fill out this rotation uh, pretty well and they could even they could get to the full seven to nine year max if they were to move on from check diallo's restricted free agent or frank jackson kendrick williams uh christian wood so that looks really good to i mean just to get off of solomon hill is probably a two second rounders type of proposition i mean the, the going rate has generally been uh, i mean look how much for example the nets had to give up to get off of alan crab now they also of course got uh jordan prince in that but to get off uh, of hill and then to get all of these uh, additional picks uh, as well uh and some of those got moved around later on uh, as well i think th- those two calves likely second rounders in 21 and 22 you know those i don't see the calves despite getting garland which i thought was good but i don't see the calves on track especially considering how limited their salary cap flexibility is for a while here you know being really good i think that'll be likely in the top half of the second round both of those years um so yeah i mean i thought it was a really solid asset play i mean probably eight and 17 in this draft now obviously paying moving up always costs a premium but eight and 17 in this draft was probably enough and then you consider also getting off of hill and you consider getting three quality second rounders and i still i still don't think we know exactly what future second rounder they gave up but it doesn't really matter that much i mean i thought that was great and then just you know if they would just taken Dumboya or radish or you know any one of a number 
number of players uh, on the wing or, or just a- anybody who can project to shoot a three-pointer at some point really any of the other players who had been available at that number eight I probably would have liked it even more but I still think it was a, a pretty good piece of business by them especially to get off a hill we'll see what they do uh with that 32.3 million dollars in space now can I make a small point and, and we're not going to spend as much time on jaw and rj because we a expected those picks to go and there isn't as much like controversy or anything there though i i do like the jaw fit in memphis that depending on what happens with the Knicks offseason, that could be a really rough team to watch next year. Just in terms of watchability, I mean, those guys are going to take time, but like Knox and Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and whatever the hell they figure out at point guard, like, I mean, that you know, maybe those growing pains will be good for those players long-term. It'll definitely be good for the Knicks draft picks moving forward. But I was, I, after I saw RJ get picked, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. The Knicks could be really tough to watch next year. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and maybe they'll end up going the one-year route with some of these guys to keep the space open uh whether they do or don't get kd and yeah rj's uh he's got plenty of opportunities that'll be the case uh, for sure uh him and uh, dennis smith doesn't seem like the greatest fit on earth but you know the knicks have a, a lot more to do still obviously that kd achilles was a major problem for him uh, and then memphis also transacted a trade later in the draft with okc which we'll talk about that trade itself but they did get brandon clark 6'8 jumping jack really interesting player because he is excellent defensively the statistical translations even though he's uh was a transfer student so he's pretty old i think he turns 23 this year uh but still really liked him because he put up incredible numbers at gonzaga great shot blocker uh even with the the short arms great mobility excellent finisher around the rim and someone who i think would be a very intriguing fit in their front court assuming they bring back valanchunas but Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. together defensively and then with the mobility that they would have on offense as well Clark's jumper is probably not ready for prime time as far as the NBA three but Jackson's is so Clark could certainly be a, a small ball role man with Jackson spacing out the floor and then you know those two guys developing together could be an incredible defensive tandem and then you throw Ja in with those guys one rolling one popping uh should be a pretty exciting group in a few years in Memphis they're going to be great leaders league pass fodder and we can jump to another team that is going to be really interesting league pass fodder the other end of that pelicans trade we talked a lot about the value proposition from new orleans perspective atlanta made a pretty big pretty big bet here on deandre hunter hunter talented player out of uva and what struck me after the pick and the reporting because that one happened before basically once we kind of slotted the first three picks happened i'm thinking about an hour before the draft is that hunter's ideal role is basically what they wanted tory and prince to be but tory and prince in their opinion and in my opinion did not turn out to be yeah and the question about hunter is is he special enough you you mentioned this hunter only worked out for one team i think the hawks were of the opinion that hunter would not be there for them at eight now uh, could they have maybe tried to move up uh, and, and obviously they didn't have interest in, in darius garland or kobe white because they have trey young already and i think young we don't know this for sure but as good of a rookie year as young had you're not going to draft over the top of him i think he he played well enough to be a foundational type of player you know in contrast to colin sexton in, in cleveland who did draft garland as we'll get to i don't think hunter is that special now i think he might be special at least least in terms of the fit for what this team needs in the long term we've been critical of a number of teams denver for example comes to mind as all right you've got all these other good players in atlanta's case you've got herder young and collins well what do you need around those guys none of those guys really project as great defenders so deandre hunter 
can play either the three or the four if you want to play collins uh, at four or five defend those positions it's got a lot of strength uh, and uh, was a 40 percent three-point shooter i'm still not quite as big of a believer in his jump shot of just like oh this guy's gonna be awesome shooting the ball uh but you know in theory if you project what he's supposed to be if it works out he is about as good of a fit as there would have been with this group the problem again is is this guy really special is he worth giving up all of this draft capital which admittedly you know they had another three first rounders they had three first rounders last year how many young guys can you have that's a little bit of a concern i think the celtics ran into that too uh with some of the trades that they made but i didn't see deandre hunter as wow this is the guy we gotta go get he just blows you away even as a defender you know he's not really a playmaker defensively as we talked about and again you know this is our opinion travis schlank certainly has a different opinion and we you know, we i think uh we had a pretty good year last year in terms of who we thought would be good other years we have uh been way way off so uh, this is not gospel but presumably you're listening to this for our opinion so yeah i think this could work out and if hunter turns out to be a solid long-term starter they probably don't end up regretting this uh but you know i didn't have hunter as significantly above you know say Dumbuya or you know I have him above Reddish but Reddish is a different kind of player and they have some offensive creators already I think they still do need one more guy who can do something off the dribble I think they're as if you're looking at how this team is going to project long term that having a guy who can really create his own offense you know Collins is not really that guy as a post-up player you're putting a lot on Trey Young Herter has some ability there but you know I think of him even as more as a tertiary guy at this point you know he's not going to just get on top of the rim and, and just destroy you and you know be a threat that teams are really really worried about so i do think as you look at what this team is going to be going forward drafting someone like hunter and i'm not sure that there was a ceiling guy there that they could have taken at four but if you want to say all right they're going to take a, a step forward next year and you know they might be drafting 10 or 12 or something next year depending on what they do with their cap space this team starts to get where you know you're picking in an area where you're kind of filling in around the margins rather than getting stars and so it would have been nice to me to try to find a player and again maybe that player wasn't there in this draft where they were selecting that had some big upside now they did get reddish so maybe they see him as that guy uh but that's uh th- that's really interesting of just thinking about again what is this team going to be three four years down the road you have trey young who is awesome you've got a bunch of other guys who look like solid players so how, how do you go uh from there i guess we could talk about the reddish pick as well if you want to comment on that further yeah i so i, I want to talk about reddish but also the overall picture that the Hawks are painting is also compelling because now with the commitment, I mean, Hunter, it looks like he's at least the starter of the future, maybe a starter of the present. Reddish, you know, drafting him at 10 is a little bit different than drafting Hunter at four. It's starting to look like they're seeing Collins more as a five, maybe. I mean, they could still get a center as we talked about, you know, centers are, are, are available in a lot of different ways. They even have bird rights on Dwayne Dedman, who I think helps them. But I, I'm very interested in what kind of Schlenk's theory of the team is. And I think a lot of it is just getting guys that he thinks can play and that they'll piece together, you know, whoever fits there. And I like the idea of Reddish for them. He's you know, he's, he's confident in his jump shot. He can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. I, I have, from people who know his high school game better than I do, they said that he showed more of that then than he had the opportunity to at Duke, partially because they're just god-awful spacing and just the system stuff and everything else. So maybe Reddish becomes that guy you were talking about. 
but he can get into passing lanes you know maybe this isn't the same hawks group but maybe just development can they can kind of encourage him to go in that direction i've liked generally speaking i've really liked lloyd pierce's coaching job and so getting players who show those flashes you know maybe you're making a bet on your development program to say we can turn those flashes into more consistent play and i'm i'm intrigued by reddish i'm i mean i guess this is kind of getting a little bit further afield because this is one of my big takeaways from the night but you know like i i had these not crisis but i had i had a real challenge separating out hunter and dambuya and nasir little and cam reddish and not only were they drafted really far apart but other than hunter all of them fell later than i expected yeah, reddish was I think was was right around that that area, but yeah, it, that it, that was interesting. Um, the Hawks cap situation now after taking on uh, that twelve point eight million for Solomon Hill, they've got fourteen point four million to work with. Remember that they started the offseason with forty one million. They took on Alan Crabb and his eighteen point five million, and now uh, with Hill, they. Uh, and then if they keep Dwayne Dedman, you know, it's been uh, suggested by Shams that maybe he could come back on a one or two year, relatively bigger money deal. His cap hold is nine point three million, so they're basically if they do bring back Dedman, I think they if they want to get a little more competitive this year, they definitely need more at center. You know, they've they've got Amari Spellman, they've got you mentioned the idea of playing Collins at center, and, and got, they have uh, Alex Len still because they gave him a two year contract. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I don't know if he's uh, again if you ever want to hope to stop anybody. Uh, you know, they might want to get a little more defense at the center position. Maybe Deadman coming back uh, could be helpful. The Cavaliers at five. I applaud them because they, uh, unlike Atlanta or New Orleans, they are much earlier on in their rebuild. They basically got one in theory keeper in Colin Sexton, who you know had for four months maybe one of the worst rookie years that we've ever seen, and then improbably turned that around to actually be pretty effective the last couple of months and started shooting it really well from three. Got rid of a lot of those long twos. Still was atrocious defensively on what may have been the the, the worst defensive team of all time. But it's someone who you would say, all right, he's got some promise. Uh, are you going to say for sure this guy is our starting point guard of the future? We It seemed like, especially with the whole, this guy's first team all-rookie, big publicity push from the Cavs. Uh, the fact that he was the apple of Dan Gilbert's eye and was drafted with that prized Brooklyn pick, that they might be reluctant to draft the best player available. And they did not do that. I thought they did a good job of just taking the guy that they thought was good, Darius Garland. Hilariously, Colin Sexton was actually on live when that pick was uh, announced on Yahoo's draft special uh, with Chris Haynes and company. And I, I thought he, he handled it pretty well. And he had the point of, hey, you know, Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum can play together. We can play together. CJ has a little bit more size than either of those guys, but not a ton. And, you know, CJ has made himself into a, a decent effort guy uh, on defense, which, you know, Garland and Sexton are not known for yet. But they do need more shooting. The, the party line, too, is that, or and more creation. The party line from... The Cavs is that John Beeline is normally played uh, with two ball handlers. So whether these two guys can play together or not, I'm just not as concerned about. You know, just because Sexton to me is not a sure thing yet is a foundational piece where, and Garland to me was by far the best player available. The only other guy I had in that tier was, was uh, Kobe White. And, and I thought Garland is a little bit better than him. 
so that was uh i thought that that was a good move for a team of where they are uh, in the cycle right now agreed yeah i think i was i had the garland white margin a little larger than you ended up with the same tier distinction but garland his ability to create off the dribble shoot off the dribble and create i think is really valuable and remember that the best case scenario here for the Cavs is that both of these guys are good enough and then even if they don't fit together you can trade one of them you like it's it's a yeah. good problem to have if they both work out and if one of them doesn't work out you have to have a, a fallback because not having capable point guard play can sink teams and the Cavs still have a ton of work to do so why not take another bite at this apple I don't know how good the point guard class is going to be next year I mean the Cavs are probably going to have another good pick but if he's the best player available and and he absolutely was take it and then and it seems like at least Sexton and considering they couldn't have known that far ahead of time he he did a really good job of staying on on point I was very impressed with Sexton you know doing that and not because I could imagine a lot of guys that that's a that could be a pretty big hit but the point that they're going to play together does does make some sense and um, one other thing on Cleveland too sure. uh part of why they can play together is Garland can shoot and Sexton is starting to look like he can shoot so where you really run into trouble with these two point guard things is when one of them just like can't shoot at all or neither of them can shoot you know that's that was kind of the the Johnny Flynn Ricky Rubio problem of those guys that never really played played together uh and that's why Damon CJ works together on, on offense like on offense there's no reason this shouldn't work you need two guys who, who can create on the perimeter and you want to call one guy the point guard and one guy the shooting guard you know that's a relatively unimportant because the as long as they're not going to take away from each other's games on the offensive end which I don't think they necessarily will uh especially you know we'll see how real sex and shooting it ends up being uh did you have anything else here or do you want to move on well do you want to talk about the rest of Cleveland's night or do you want to save that for yeah you? I think we can they uh, according to Tim Bontemps I mean, at least we'll talk about it in the first round because our second round, you know, we'll probably just hit on some of the highlights for us. They acquired the number 30 pick, which uh, had an arduous journey into their hands via Detroit, originally from Milwaukee. The Cavs sent four second round picks and cash to get this number 30 pick. And that cash was $5 million, which... I think it's easily the highest amount that's ever been paid for a draft pick. I think well, it's, highest... it's just about the most that's allowed now. I mean, I think the, yeah. the limit for whether it's this year or next year, it's like 5.2, 5.4, you know, depending on which year we're talking about. Yeah, and I think the Cavs had that money to spend, so why not spend it? But yeah, I mean, I, we don't know exactly what four second rounders that are in the future. Uh, but Cleveland really wanted Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, Porter Jr., very left-handed guy, but a great ISO guy. I saw him in person at the Hoop Summit last year when he was on the Portland Generals it was brought into town as a Seattle guy didn't make the hoop summit team but just to, to play against those guys and he actually lit those guys up pretty good it definitely looked like a, a very quality ISO score but had uh, maturity issues at UCLA uh, injuries suspensions USC and, I have to correct uh, that yeah oh yes yes thank you sorry sorry I, I I wholeheartedly apologize there there is a large difference between uh USC and UCLA as, as uh, Mark Stevens could tell you uh but I think Porter falls into this uh, idea you know Colby Altman look at the types of players that he has acquired since becoming GM Isaiah Thomas Jordan Clarkson Rodney Hood Colin Sexton Darius Garland now Kevin Porter he likes his ISO scores doesn't he <laughs> it, it certainly appears that way and 
I don't know enough about Dylan Windler. So Dylan Windler, um, he was the guy that they picked at 25 before they traded up to get Kevin Porter. Windler went to Belmont, go Bruins, and put up 21 this past year, 68% true shooting, 43% from three each of the last two years. So that'll be interesting. He's a guy that I'm excited to see in summer league just because I don't don't really have a calibrator for him yet. I think I watched a little bit of Belmont this year, but not very much. So Cleveland, though, one of the most striking things about them, you talked about the likes the ISO score, they were maybe the worst defensive team of all time last year. They did not add defensive chops to this team, at least at least as far as I know these players' reputations. Yeah, Windler, smooth lefty, can shoot the NBA three even off a step back, so it was a, a big score. But tough competitor, got a lot of rebounds, uh, admittedly, uh, at uh, a lower level. So they, they did need some guys who are just like pure shooters on this team. Uh, but, you know, he's really more of a two. I wouldn't say he projects it as a three. Porter also projects as a two. You're also going to play Sexton and Garland together. You've still got Jordan Clarkson on this team as well. you still got Brandon Knight on this team as well. J.R. Smith still on the team, but he won't, he won't be for very long. It won't be next year. They also have Matthew Delvadova still. So they, they are uh, very backcourt heavy at the moment. And certainly you would expect that uh that will change and of course many of those guys won't be long-term parts of this team but the expectation would be that the four young guys i mentioned will be and there's now again it's not like all these guys are going to work out perfectly and you know just getting someone who can play in that lower range of the draft 26 and 30 is something but yeah you do wonder about uh, the fit and still you know there's a, just a total lack of defense total lack of length and athleticism uh on this team going forward but again this is uh with all the salary they had committed when lebron james departed and the way they've tried to acquire assets since then it's been uh they got a long way to go so uh th- that'll be interesting to see if porter is gonna be a guy who could be a really fun player but you know has some issues uh, with defense shot it like under 50 percent from the foul line somehow and didn't get to the foul line that much but you know real athletic guy can get up for some dunks uh yeah, so, so that was Cleveland's night. Now we can turn to this Minnesota Phoenix trade. Uh, what did that end up being, including the players who were picked? This is pretty fascinating. So Minnesota moved up from 11 to 6, and what they included to move up is Dario Sharch. So Sharch looked like he was going to be the starting power forward for Minnesota. Instead, he will presumably be the starting power forward in Phoenix, though their forward rotation is pretty interesting right now. They all, they also sent somebody out, which we'll talk about soon enough. And then so if you want to add in the picks, that was Cam Johnson and and Sharch for Jarrett Culver. Yeah, so uh, what do you think just overall of the price that's uh, just in a vacuum here, moving up from 11 to 6 and uh, using Dario Saric as the price to do that? God, it is hard to separate this from the players that were involved. Uh, I think, so from the Suns' perspective, I think this is a little harder to justify because Saric is about to be properly paid. He has one more year on a rookie-scale contract. And yeah, it's possible restricted free agency hurts him, but generally guys in Saric's tier end up getting properly paid unless they get completely hosed by the market and he's a fine player you know I've, I've liked charge for a while I thought that he was kind of an undervalued part of the Jimmy Butler trade at the time but yeah so I think he's been like one of the more overrated players since uh you, you know that whatever it was since he was almost rookie, rookie of the, of the year. year yeah yeah 
And and so with Sharge, I, I think that's I think that's a fair point. And you know, he wasn't what made the Sixers exceed expectations in the time that he was on that team. But for me, I, I thought that there, you know, the margin between like the options that were available at six and the options that were available at eleven was significant. And so it it didn't value like when I looked at KP's pick value chart, like it didn't seem like it technically values Sharge that much. But remember, the whole point of that chart is that it's it's like based on production. And I thought that there was a line of demarcation in what I thought was going to be this draft. And so, you know, for Minnesota's purposes, what I thought they were going to be going into here was Jeff Teague is on is going to be an expiring contract. Tyus Jones, I like him. It seems like I like him more than Minnesota. Derrick Rose is a free agent as well. That, okay, you have the opportunity to get your point guard of the future. It didn't cost you that many resources. And that isn't quite what they did. Yeah, the Kobe White was available. I think we, we thought that that was going to be the direction that, that they would go and uh, you know get out and transition, run run some pick and rolls with Carl Anthony Towns. They don't have a, a point guard in the pipeline. They need more shooting on this team, I think, is one of the big things that, that they're struggling with at the moment culver was someone that neither of us were particularly high on just didn't see other than his passing just didn't really see the premium skill for him not a believer in his shooting from the nba line anytime soon if ever average at best free throw shooter not really a premium athlete and really has more the speed of a three in a two's body now they needed something at the two they still have a josh Kogi as well but he's more of a defensive specialist at this point and we'll see how how he develops now Culver if he works out the idea would be he can handle the ball a lot he, he worked a, a lot on the ball they do need more passing on this team you know, that's not a strength of one Andrew Wiggins and perhaps this is a, a little bit of an indictment of what Gerson Rosas thinks of Wiggins that they traded up to get Culver and in theory they have their two and their three already on the roster in Wiggins and Covington and maybe he's not a huge Covington guy either we'll see I mean he came from the Rockets where Covington started his career though they waived him due to lack of roster spots and he ended up in Philly and then you know it was, it was a great success story after that so maybe this could indicate that they might be trying to move Wiggins or they also just need some backup wings as well so he can fit in there but you don't spend the number six on a player that you and trade up to get six on a player that you project to come off the bench at some point in time. So I don't really care for giving someone up in terms of shards to move up to six. You know, I think that as it turned out, there would have been guys there at 11, you know, like Dumbuya, I think is better than Culver. Again, you know, take, take this with, with a grain of salt where nobody's uh, bets hundred percent on this stuff, but I think Dumbuya, I like much better in the modern NBA also could play some four for them. They now with the department, Archer of Sharks have absolutely nothing at the four under contract unless you're going to play the non-rebounding Andrew Wiggins there. Maybe Taj Gibson could come back. Well, I mean, uh, they, I get, yeah. would they try Covington there? Yeah, again, I mean, I think he's a, a little too thin. Yeah, you might try and play some lineups there. Certainly, you know, coming out of Houston, uh, Rosas uh, has value putting three-point shooting around these guys, but uh, uh, around Carl Anthony Towns in particular. Point guard is another weakness right now for the Wolves. They have Jeff Teague under contract, but as far as this, the long-term team going forward, I mean, I think well, Kobe so, White... Sorry, can yeah, I bring up a, can I, a point yeah. there? Why I was bothered by Minnesota beyond the fact that I had Kobe White a full tier above Culver is they given what Minnesota wants to do as a team moving forward it's going to be really hard for them to solve this point guard problem this is sort of like when we talked about Orlando a few years ago and they just like weren't drafting point guards and then they they like yeah. it, it just Phoenix like has, it, has been in this in the same problem yeah right? and but. so like Minnesota let's say they want they want to be at the bare minimum in the late lottery next year and I think they could clear I haven't worked out their 2020 books 
too much yet. But it's going to be hard for them to add that guy. There was that rumor that they were interested in D'Angelo Russell. And sure, they can be interested in D'Angelo Russell. But unless they move like Wiggins, it's going to be really hard to make that happen. So I think at a certain point, maybe even if you think Culver's better, just as a resource management thing, if you say, we have to have a point guard, that's an important part of this team's future. And if we don't get it now, then when are we going to do that? And so that's another another way that Minnesota might kind of rue this decision. Yeah. And now we always say, oh, wings are so important. Like the, they're so scarce. But I'm talking about wings that can hit a three-pointer. And I just don't think that Jared Culver and, is, is going to get And them. wings that are more versatile defensively than I think Culver is going to be. You know, like Culver, to yeah. me, he's more of a two. Like we, when we're talking about wings, we're talking about more like the the three-four type of guys. Because they're, they're while the two position is scarce, it's also not as valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think he can guard up a little bit. I think he, he's tough. He, he's a good kid, good competitor. But I agree. You know, is he going to guard some of the the real, you know, your Kawhis, your Paul Georges? No, I think he, he is undersized for that type of role. And then when you say you know, shooting is a question mark, then you run into, and also his on-ball really, you know, creation, putting pressure on the rim, you know, as an average athlete, you start to wonder, like, how good the fit is going to be with him. So it's part of the whole point of having these wings is that they can fit in everywhere they're not going to take anything off the table for the guys around them. And, you know, I think it's going to be a long time before Culver is there if he ever gets there. Uh, Bulls had to be ecstatic, I think, that Kobe White fell to them. He is a very good fit to me with their other players because he can shoot the ball at the point guard position. And, you know, White is not, I don't think he's necessarily going to ever be a spectacular pick and roll player, finisher at the rim, passer. But that's not the end of the world, especially when you have, you know, not that Zach Levine is the greatest player ever, but when you have the ability to, you know at the end of games Zach Levine as they're as they sit right now he's probably gonna have the ball in his hands a, a lot of the time and so they've seen firsthand what it's like when you have a point guard who can't shoot and Chris Dunn next to that so and while White isn't maybe you know the most traditional point guard as far as a creator for others the two skills that he does have which is pushing it really hard in transition which you know not a lot of point guards do that he's really fast in transition and then being able to shoot especially as an off ball guy there if you really go through the list of point guards in the league the list of guys who could do those two things is not really that long and white is six five he's got the short arm so you know i don't i still as we talked about in the scout of him it's going to be more of a one position defender thing for him and you do wonder overall about the bulls defense but adding white you know is maybe uh the best or second best shooting point guard in the draft and you know projects to someday perhaps be one of the better shooting point guards in the nba now i think your offense in chicago is starting to look pretty good you're going to have a lot of space for levine to work he got, did better getting to the basket larry mark in it more space for him to attack mismatches hopefully wendell carter can evolve his three-pointer this year and so you should just have a lot of space around the room to attack the thing that is a question mark for me is is Jim Boylan going to adjust his philosophy of like trying to post up and not running that much playing a really slow pace because White's strength obviously is pushing the ball Levine can get out and transition they've got shooting to get trail threes now so uh hopefully Boylan uh, will be open to attacking a lot more in transition this season now if you want to talk about how the hell this team is ever going to defend with this core yeah that's a good question I mean Wendell Carter is just gonna have to turn into a monster is, is really probably your only option there yeah but I, I also think that some of the roster will turn around this is the other kind of for me and granted i'm not garpax for many reasons but there i see some parallels here with kobe white and levine as i do with garland and sexton where yes they paid a lot of money to zach levine but if 
for whatever reason, White is good, Levine is good, and they don't fit together, then you make another move. And so it's it's good to get a, an option at point guard. They, I, I I really like Kobe White as as an option there. And yeah, it's it's I have questions because Jim Boylan, the Bulls played at the eighth slowest pace in the NBA once he took over, and with Kobe White, it, that's where he drives his value. So you have to be able to push there. And apologies if you mentioned this, I didn't hear it. But Co- for me, one of my big concerns about Kobe White at this stage in his game is that he's a far better, to me, off-ball, you know, like catch-and-shoot guy than on-ball shooter. And playing with Zach Levine, that might actually work reasonably well in the early stages. And then as he works and gets better and, and improves his game, then you can then he can grow into something a little bit different. So I, I think this could work out reasonably well for them. And, you know, talent wins the day eventually. So if And I, I sincerely hope that Boylan can adjust his philosophy to the talent he has because if he can't then the bulls are going to be shortchanged yeah well if you want to get places a lot faster than the bulls got the ball up the court last year boosted can get you to where you need to be faster their vehicle grade electric skateboards and scooters are the modern solution to your championship championship woes whoa well, I, I tried to transition from the bulls and i don't know why that made me think of the word championship what we're looking for here is the modern solution to your transportation woes uh they have a 22 mile range and max speeds with 24 miles per hour they're perfect for both running to the store and traveling across town they've got five options to pick from they have a new scooter the boosted rev personal electric vehicles that are tailor-made for you and they start at 61 dollars a month with financing think of how much less expensive that is than all the ubers that you're taking or a potential car payment or cabs they're small enough that you can take them with you much more easily than a bicycle being stuck in traffic which is just getting so bad in a lot of places now we're not exactly building many more roads these days so a boosted vehicle grade electric skateboard and scooter is the way to go there's no better time to change how you move because boosted is offering our listeners 75 dollars off the purchase of an electric vehicle when you use the code capspace at checkout easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time especially around this time of year go to boostedboards.com use that capspace code to get 75 dollars off your vehicle once again boostedboards.com promo code capspace at checkout for 75 dollars off right, we talked about jackson hayes at eight the pick that New Orleans got from Atlanta. Number nine, Rui Hachimura at Washington. This is the point where you started scratching your head about Sekou Dumbuya not being drafted. He had been mocked to Washington. Supposedly he'd been having some good workouts, but that uh, wasn't enough to keep him in, in the lottery. Hachimura, a little bit older, obviously uh, of Japanese descent, first Japanese person ever drafted in the first round. Combo forward type of body, pretty athletic, has worked on his jump shot quite a bit, it was able to actually get to some mid-range isolation pull-up type of plays. The jumper looks a lot better from two than from three, though. He kind of shoots it on the way down. It doesn't really get a ton of arc on it. It's really just a jumper that's more tailor-made for either the college line or just pull up two-point jump shooting post up face up jump shooting has a lot of tools defensively but not amazing health instincts I think when he's really locked in he can slide his feet and stay in front of guys well but as far as executing read and reacting he's a a work in progress he came pretty late to the game you know was always really athletic but had to didn't play hardly at all two years ago at Gonzaga and 
developed into being an excellent player uh, i know it was a very good gonzaga team but i don't know if i'm a believer that his three-point shot from nba range is going to come around his iso game you know could be a little bit of a weapon but you know i'm not sure he's gonna end up having enough feel to really just be a natural score and defensively definitely has the tools but uh, there are some big question marks so to me you know somewhat profiling is a somewhat similar player perhaps in theory in terms of size as Dumboya and Hunter but to me not quite on the level of those guys in terms of his defensive tools uh, or his outside shooting so I, I wasn't as on board with this he's a little bit older uh, as well you know not someone that I studied incredibly closely but I, I do wonder a little bit about the fit in particular just because I, I have questions that the jump shot may need to be reworked to be effective from NBA 3. I don't have much to add on Hachimura I just haven't watched him yet I'm I'll, I'll keep an eye on him of course and summer league but we already talked about cam reddish we could move to another older draftee the oldest i believe in this class cam johnson so remember that the the suns moved down from 6 to 11 picking up sharich in that deal and they drafted cam johnson johnson who is eight months older than devin booker now that is not destiny of course there are good players they get drafted that are older all the time taj gibson is one of them there there have been many over the years but Johnson, I think, he reflects a few of my concerns about the Suns front office, not a player who was mocked in this area, and also just this idea of like, oh, we have a connection to this player. There's the story that Woj told during the broadcast about how Jeff Bauer, when he was coaching at Marist, had cam johnson on at at a recruiting visit but he spurned them when he got an offer from Pitt, and then now bauer a part of one of the parts of the triumvirate of the sun's front office drafts him seemingly way higher than most other people had him on their boards yeah this is a big surprise kobe white at, at a viral moment when he was giving his presser and was told that cam johnson got drafted number 11 and he like he couldn't believe it and he was just shocked and he's like oh yeah you know i'm really happy for him and you know i'm sure he was quite genuine in that but you could tell even he didn't expect uh, his teammate to to go that high obviously these guys all read the mock drafts and stuff and you know cam johnson was probably being talked about at a minimum 10 picks later than this i do think johnson it has a wonderful stroke and at six to nine he, he gets it off quickly really pure i mean one of the best shooters in the draft and he's got a relatively high release point and so I, I think that part of it is good doesn't add a ton in terms of other skills you mentioned how old he is uh, as well so you know and phoenix had, had picks uh, ended up getting back into the draft later in the deal with boston which we'll talk about in a second at, at 24 they picked up ty jerome uh but you know maybe johnson might have been available at that point in time and so a, a couple of things come to mind here we'll talk about actually here let's talk about the rest of their night first so they also traded the pick that milwaukee owes them next year in the eric bledsoe from the eric bledsoe trade that is one through seven protected to boston to get number 24 this year i think that's a considering that you pay a premium a little bit for picks this year i think that's a pretty good piece of business for them if you just look at that exchange because like the bucks with the honest on the team well there, there was one other year. piece of that trade which oh yeah, yeah i'm getting to that i'm getting okay. to that okay uh so that, that was a pretty good piece of business and then it was reported that taking on the 5.4 million dollar salary of aaron baines from boston to help them open up more cap space was also a, a part of this deal and you know 
that's an interesting one a one-year 5.4 million dollar deal for Baines he's been pretty effective in Boston the last couple of years but it is older struggled with the, all those ankle issues last year it seems like he was treated as negative salary in this deal but I also think that Baines can actually really help them as a backup center now they don't necessarily have to overpay Rashawn Holmes if uh you know he gets better offers elsewhere he's unrestricted but he has a minimum cap hold and but the interesting thing about taking on Baines was it looked like oh well when Phoenix uh made the move for TJ Warren which we'll also talk about it in a second that they had opened up Max Room and then they take back Baines and they take on Salaria in the form of Shar. It's not that much more because the 11th pick gets paid less than the 6th pick. But well, And, and, and now, they yeah. take on $2.2 million in Ty Jerome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, another, another pick for this year that would have been an obligation for next year. So they were looking at over $27 million in space, which would have been enough for a max for a guy with zero to six years of experience. D'Angelo Russell, perhaps. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon wouldn't have been worth the max. Uh, uh, Terry Rozier wouldn't have been worth the max either. But, you know, there's speculation, oh, shit, they're going to and get D'Angelo Russell he's like a, a good friend of Devin Booker's and now I guess that's quelled because the most they could have really uh, would be 20 million in space now uh, and that's if they move on from the 9.6 million dollar cap hold of Kelly Oubre who, who's a restricted free agent this year presumably they will offer him a qualifying offer uh, but they can pull that if they make another restricted free agent offer for someone else we talked about how the Suns you know, are one of those teams that makes the most sense uh, going after restricted free agents um, but I I thought the valuations here were interesting both with Baines and then also uh, with TJ Warren in this deal with the Pacers if you, if you want to talk about that. Sure. So the TJ Warren deal, it was the Suns trading Warren and 32 to the Pacers for cash. So effectively, this is a version of the Nene test because it is the player on that contract a positive value. The Suns treated Warren as uh, with three years and $35 million as unambiguously negative because they, they used a, a pretty damn good second round pick to as a sweetener to send him to the Pacers. My feeling on this is that Warren is a negative value contract, but a slight negative. So I would say this is, it, for me, it's an overpay for the Suns. Now, it could be an overpay that is justified by context. Like, that was something somebody asked me, like, oh, am I going to make fun of Suns' ownership for this deal? And what I said is, let's see where they go with their cap space. Because it's very possible that they can do better that with this... 12 million in cap space as an additive because 25 can you can do a lot more with 25 than you can with 13 so i am willing to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt they did cut into that by some of the other some of the other moves that james jones made but it's fascinating because it 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 moves a player out of out of the rotation and it's fascinating from indiana's perspective because this isn't a circumstance of a team that had limited spending power just taking a guy because why the hell not indiana was a cap space team too yeah i, I mean it is, it is a cap that, space team yeah that indiana thought hey we can this is we can do better for many now they got that number 32 pick as well uh and they send some cash back the other way right yes um we don't know how much or at least i haven't heard uh but indiana saying well this guy is probably better than we can do with our cap space and phoenix saying ah we can do better with our cap space than this guy <laughs> so it's an interesting challenge trade obviously uh, sweeten a little bit for indiana uh, by getting uh, that number 32 pick uh, but uh, overall here where does this leave 
Phoenix. They still have Tyler Johnson at the one uh, for next year. Jerome, a player that Mike Schmitz was really high on. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a European prospect that I liked years ago, who now actually is coming into his own, uh, playing more in Europe, uh, Vasilya Misic. You know, 6'4", 6'5", guy, not incredibly athletic, but can really shoot and really pass. And, you know, smart player, competitive, not a great defender. That's uh, quite a common theme now in Phoenix. And so... That's really my question here is, all right, you just got Dario Saric. He's presumably going to start at the four. You know, who else? It's either him or Josh Jackson is your starting four. So it's probably him. You know, they're looking at Mikhail Bridges as their starting three. Booker, DeAndre Ayton is their starting center with Baines backing him up. Maybe Holmes is involved there. And then at point guard, you got Tyler Johnson and Jerome. And then, you know, whoever you sign in free agency, presumably that's going to be a point guard also. How the hell are they ever? And not I'm not even talking about this year because they're, you know, they were really bad last year. You can't talk about it. Like what happens this year? isn't as big of a concern but just looking at this team long term like where the hell is the defense coming from on this team I mean, Mikhail Bridges is your best defender and he's more of kind of a adequate guy a little skinny you know holds up okay than like you know some guy who's going to anchor your defense uh so they're gonna have to hope for uh some massive improvement under Monty Williams who himself does not have an unbelievable defensive track record as a coach Bridges as the best option is scary but not the second best defender in that starting five is also scary because that's probably Sharich and that's not that's not necessarily strong I remember he's going to be a pending restricted free agent dealing with all that and yeah it looks like the Suns will probably get another solid pick next year but it's a young guy that they, maybe they could trade that for a veteran or something like that and depending on which point guard they get I wouldn't say necessarily the defense like first of all there aren't that many game-changing point guards but second of all like it's probably it's hard to like it doesn't seem like unless maybe it's Rozier that they're going to get somebody of that build but my other big takeaway from the Suns night is this is a stark transition from Ryan McDonough to James Jones because a lot of the pieces that that James Jones added in on Thursday are basically floating right over players that McDonough drafted. Remember, McDonough got fired right before the season last year. So these these aren't like old-timey acquisitions. So for example, Ty Jerome and then they signed Jalen Leck to a two... Le- I think it's Leckway. Le- is it Leckway? To a two... Maybe it is. I, okay. I actually, that's one I've only ever seen in print. I was just... For me, it looks French. I'm going to say it French. Um, And yeah, same thing with Dort. But it's... <laughs> but so... but Lugan's so Dort is, is who he's I, I know. But so the... Well, but yeah. The, our listeners yes, wouldn't, yes, wouldn't that's know. that's true. Yeah, that's true. Unless they listen to Sam Vecini and I arguing about it for a couple of minutes on Real Jam Radio a few months ago. But so here's what I'm getting at with that. So you had those two players, Ty Jerome and, and I'm going to say it Leck. They drafted Elia Kobo and gave him a four-year contract, not fully guaranteed, last year. They traded for D'Anthony Melton, who, while not really a point guard, is a, is a ball handler. So are those guys just like out of it now? They traded, uh, James Jones traded TJ Warren. Now it looks like Josh Jackson is on the outs, already declined the option and tr- on Bender and Chris traded both those guys. So, uh, but adding in Cam Johnson. So like, basically it seems like they've kind of overhauled certain elements of the rotation from like last year. By the way, it's LeCue. We were both oh, I, I like that. I like that. I'm good with that. LeCue. Le, Le, LeCue. It's a combination. Uh, it, it's uh, the French version of Q from Star Trek, The Next Generation, which, uh, you know, that's not my second start TNG reference here in a week. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't really have much more uh, on Phoenix here. Um, Indiana, we, we talked about a little bit. Uh, they also, at number 18, picked uh, Goga Betadz. 
Bitadze uh, out of Georgia. There's been increasing noise out of there that Jay Michael's been talking about that, especially with the Warren acquisition, Thaddeus Young is less likely to be back. It's not been ruled out, but he's not going to be a priority. Kevin Pritchard said that uh, Boyan Bogdanovich still will be a priority. Uh, the Pacers now, with Bogdanovich's cap hold, uh, sit at $21.2 million. It was a priority for them to get more scoring, and Warren does provide that. We'll see whether his 40% three-point shooting from last year holds up, because he certainly was nowhere near that and just worked out in Raleigh or somewhere in North Carolina. I'm not sure it was Raleigh uh, with the trainer and just like got really good at shooting threes all of a sudden. And then of course had to be shut down with that ankle bone bruise. So we'll see how much that three pointer carries over, but he's also just provides some points for this team. Someone who can do something off the dribble off, off a closeout. They felt like they needed to just get more scoring. Also very sobering news out of Indiana that Victor Oladipo is not expected back until like a couple months into the year. Pritchard said that he hopes that Oladipo will be back then so if that's the same injury that Tony Parker had Tony Parker remember got hurt in the playoffs and he was back I want to say uh, maybe like December or something but that you know he got hurt in the playoffs he didn't get hurt in January um well, and, and Parker was way older and while the Pacers did have that hot stretch right after Oladipo went down we saw that they just they didn't have enough verve offensively and they just became became a, 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 a flatter team and especially given the preliminary stuff I mean there are rumors that they're going after Ricky Rubio now, do I think Ricky Rubio, especially considering their weakness they have at the two now, can can carry them offensively for a couple months? Like this is getting to be a you know the the could be a a weird year for the Pacers. It was something that we feared when Oladipo went down, but I even I didn't expect the timeline to be what it's been. Oh, sorry, yeah. did you have a comment on that? Oh well, the other thing I was going to add too is the Pacers still the big need is a point guard they do expect Aaron Holiday to step into a role next year but you know, relying on him as the starter may not be a good idea but they've been linked to Ricky Rubio now who is not going to be back obviously in Utah in fact cannot be back uh with the Mike Conley trade they'll have to move on from his cap hold so uh, that, that's been a link as well and they will have uh that 21 million or so in space uh, to go after Rubio and hopefully for them they won't have to pay him 21 million dollars and they can get a little bit more uh, than that well um, the other important thing we need to talk about the Pacers is and this has been it was said by Pritchard after after they selected Batadze is here's the quote the way we look at it DeMontis Sabonis is going to play a lot of four meaning power forward and that does not make me happy yeah that'll be interesting I mean he's just he's gonna have to get a lot better as a shooter you know that's the role that he played to absolutely zero acclaim as a rookie in OKC and uh now he has Miles Turner there too who, who can space out a little bit more Turner was gonna have to become more focused on the three-point shot if, if Sabonis is going to play the four and then uh Bitaz, excellent shot blocker played a, a few games for one of the teams in the basement of the Euro League and actually acquitted himself quite well from a statistical standpoint but you know again this is a, another center he's got some shooting ability outside the concerns there are about his mobility defensively in the pick and roll uh so you know maybe, maybe he can come in and give him some backup minutes he's pretty young he's 19 so you never want to count on a 19 year old to contribute in any fashion at all there uh okay so we should go back to charlotte now is there anything else on the pacers i don't have anything else on the pacers the next few picks are, are players that we didn't spend as much time on so at least my personal preference would be to get to breeze through him a little bit pj washington yeah i could talk about him a sure. little bit i mean he's you know i'd say that you know maybe kind of like a markeith morris type uh but maybe a, a little bit bigger 
bigger than him a little higher standing reach some hope that he could play some center improved his shooting uh, to over 40 percent from three this year but pretty limited attempts you always wonder uh, about that uh he goes to charlotte uh, at 12 and just not really an inspiring pick you know there's one of the trends that i noticed is there didn't seem to be that many guys drafted high who you're like okay like what is this guy's fit in the modern nba uh Bitadze maybe falls into that category uh, as well uh, but you know washington while he has improved his body a lot and improved his outside shooting he is kind of you know your undersized center traditional power forward kind of size guy uh, where you wonder really ha- how he fits in uh, that well you know i really i thought miles bridges was a great pick for them as far as just a modern nba fit uh washington uh, less so um tyler harrow who we saw or at least i did at last year's hoop summit at 13 to miami you know not your typical miami pick usually you think of miami as drafting you know someone who uh, is really physical uh, and intense uh, Harrow does play hard defensively and is branded as one of the best shooters in the draft. I do think he's going to have to do a little bit of work to rework his shot and really expand out to three, but he likes to shoot coming off of screens and negative wingspan, you know, at 6'4", 6'5", but uh, does play hard defensively. You know, obviously he gets the J.J. Redick comparisons, but uh, J.J. Redick is, you know, one of the best of that type of player type with that those type of measurables ever. So uh, that's a lot to ask for him to uh, become that type of player. But Miami does need, you know, some real knockdown shooter types. Uh, and, you know, again, when you're basically in any range, but particularly this one if you if the guy can play you draft him whether you have guys in that position or not it'll be interesting to see yeah just kind of like what what exactly the niche is and I had gotten really excited about Seku Dumbuya going there just the idea of getting him in their system and 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 I mean great not that Miami necessarily needs more forwards but just getting another high ceiling guy that would have been really fun for them but alas Boston with the pick that Sacramento sent them uh or actually initially sent to Philly and then went to Boston in the Markel Fultz Jason Tatum trade they took Romeo Langford out of Indiana shot only 27 percent from three which was a problem many blamed uh, a thumb injury on his right hand uh, for derailing his shooting strong driver shows some moments uh, of defensive intensity the shooting you want he does have kind of like a long wind up but you know can create some shots in isolation you know, not a guy who really you know fits in amazingly there but you know again at this point in the draft you're you're just thinking of getting someone who can play and uh you know he, he was another one of these guys along with Nasir Little who was ranked a lot higher coming in and had somewhat of a disappointing freshman season how much of that is the thumb how much of it is just you know he's not really that good who knows uh, but you know has some raw materials to work with uh, as a natural scoring instincts ball handling etc uh and then our guy uh Siku Dumboya at uh 15 to Detroit I'm really happy about this for a few different reasons the biggest one being that while the day before the draft the Pistons used the basically use some of their financial flexibility by trading John Moore for Tony Snell and the 30th pick so of course they got that draft asset as well Snell, you know, he's he's on the small side if you if you're looking for a defensive wing. Seku is the right size for the type of the type of player that I thought Detroit needed to have for perimeter viability, let's call it. And you're more confident in his jump shot than I am, but I think they just needed somebody in that, you know, six six eight range strong enough who could who could eventually kind of be that defensive force. And it's possible that, you know, he he's since he's so young and has been playing, you know, the in the in in France for a couple of years, he's the youngest guy in this draft, that he's not on the same timeline as Blake Griffin. But every team needs players like that. And he's really the only guy now like 
like him on the Pistons at his size, and I think that's great for them to have. Yeah, I mean, he'll probably spend some time in Grand Rapids next year. Or actually, no, I think they're moving their team closer, but uh, their G League team. But yeah, I mean, this is and good job for the Pistons not being like, oh, we got to chase the eighth seed next year by getting someone who can contribute right away. You know, like that ever works. Uh, so even though we say it all the time, it, since this is the draft, and we should mention that basically like zero rookies contribute positively to, to successful teams. Like it's, it's exceedingly rare. Yeah. Last year was really a, an aberration yes. in that regard to some degree. Um, you know, with guys like Landry Shamit, for example, Chumo Keke, torn ACL, uh, but a favorite of the statistical translations, uh, a combo forward type, uh, trending more towards a four really uh, out of auburn good but not great athlete has some shooting ability from the college three is he gonna become an awesome nba three-point shooter you know i'm not sure about that but you know displayed some range there uh he's gonna spend a tours acl in the tournament i think so he, he'll maybe he might even miss all of this year but that's fine uh and is another uh, athleticism another combo forward uh on orlando but they at least have guys at his position so it's not like they'll be like oh i really need this guy to come back and contribute this year so i, I mean i again i applaud especially for young guys coming off an acl tear you know, up until you're 22 23 it seems like those guys really seem to recover well the older you get the more of a drop off just anecdotally it seems like they have so don't mind that pick at all i mean he's at least a guy you can fit in the nba has some switchability uh and then uh Nikhil alexander walker we talked about him uh bitadze at 18 we talked about him uh luka samanich to san antonio at 19 uh played for olympia Ljubljana, i think is how you pronounce uh, the name of that city uh last year 19 year old kind of a a four but has the ability to put it on the deck can shoot doesn't necessarily have like the one outstanding skill you know as a, he's capable as a shooter kind of capable as a passer capable of putting the ball on the floor can move his feet defensively but there's not one thing you look at as like oh yeah that's what this guy is awesome at but you know certainly someone who can get into that spurs pipeline has a a fair amount of natural talent at his age so you know a, a very spursy pick you would say yeah it's, it certainly feels that way and in in kind of line with some of the modern spurs also a guy that you wonder about his his ideal defensive role you know like they they, they have certainly have some capable defensive players Dejounte murray being among them but it is interesting like from the big spots they haven't put as much of a commitment into that and a very different defensive choice right after that so I hope for Philadelphia's sake that that trading up with Boston for a a University of Washington player works out better this time than it did the last time because they move up from 24 to 20 to draft Washington defensive ace Matisse Thibel, whose his like steals and block rates are just absolutely off the charts. And you know his his shooting. I, I need. To, I, he's a guy I need to watch more. But it, it's going to be very interesting to see to, like where his game goes offensively because presumably Philly is bringing him in defensively. And so Thibault is going to presumably be part of the rotation. They definitively moved up for him, and it's a it, it's a pretty big swing for the for the Sixers. It's not like they gave up a ton. It was twenty four and thirty three. But still, to move to give up thirty three to move up these four picks is significant. Yeah, the talk that Boston had kind of zeroed in uh, on what Philly was going to do, and uh, Tybul actually mentioned, that's how you pronounce his name, right? I think so. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah, it is Tybul. So he acknowledged it. 
that the reason he didn't work out for any teams was because uh quote philly showed interest early and we just trusted them to decided that we were going to put our faith in them and kind of shut things down so there are some questions about thibault his jump shot looks like it could be okay but very limited as far as attacking off the bounce not and even the okay jump shot is kind of one of these things like okay as he went through his college career he started to shoot him when he was wide open you know one of the lower scoring prospects that you'll see drafted and then also you know the steal and block numbers in particular the steal numbers were amazing but they play that Syracuse 2-3 zone there at Washington under Mike Hopkins we've seen some guys steal numbers get elevated there in contrast to what the reputation is for the pack line defense so we'll see whether he really is going to be this defensive difference maker he is a little thin so the idea that he's just going to lock guys down you know who, who really have size at the small forward position especially early on probably not going to happen but you know as a playmaker certainly has a, a lot of potential we talked about brandon clark already uh but what was the deal between memphis and okc i believe it was a future second round pick like 2024 so it was a pretty far out memphis second rounder in order to move up from 23 to 21 yeah it's memphis's 2024 second rounder uh okc took new balance intern darius Baisley. Baisley had committed to syracuse then decommitted was going to play in the g league had some struggles uh, in camps over the summer and then just decided to work at new balance has improved his body this will shock you but uh his shooting is a little bit of a question mark Although he does, you know, I, I think he is a smooth player, lefty, you know, more of a power forward, but pretty thin. Not a ridiculous athlete, but a solid one and you know, has a good feel for finishing around the rim, has some defensive potential, has some shooting potential as a lefty. So he's not the type of just total non-shooter that they've drafted there before, but it still is a, a question mark, but definitely a, a pretty raw guy. Sam Presti went this route two years ago as far as a player who didn't play in, in college, but was an American uh, with Terrence Ferguson. So that doesn't seem to be a huge deterrent for him. And uh, a joke was made to me by an executive that look out for Darius Baisley to only get 80% of the rookie scale so okc can uh, save some money uh but i will say this it was uh, joking aside the rumor was that they would be looking to cut costs with that number 21 pick that they had originally and they to date haven't done that uh i thought that maybe they part of the cost of moving down would be memphis taking on uh, one of their lower salaried players that they're trying to move to save the the astronomical luxury tax cost repeater tax costs in fact but uh that hasn't happened yet so i I mean as, as much as and i mean clay bennett is been one of the higher spending owners in the nba still deserves a lot of credit for that considering the market size in particular we skipped over boston at number 22 this was their own pick and they picked grant williams out of tennessee a two-time sec player of the year pretty strong guy but not the greatest athlete a little bit slower afoot has been compared a lot to jared dudley as just someone who has that type of uh, intelligence the jump shot will be a, a big question mark for him. How good is he going to shoot it at the NBA level? Because given his limited athleticism, he's, he's going to have to shoot the three ball to survive uh, offensively. But just a, a smart, heady player that a fair amount of people were pretty high on. Uh, we talked about Ty Jerome already. And Nasir Little uh, fell all the way to number 25 at Portland, which was a, a big surprise. It was. And I mean, so those players, we and it's hard to put full context on it because we only did 12 guys and a lot of the players that we didn't do were chosen between these forwards but you know seeing hunter at four reddish at 10 dabuya at 15 and then nasir little like i didn't think the margins between those guys were that large even if they 
I, I think they went in... No, I had Dembuya over Reddish. Um, they went in in pretty similar order. And little smaller in height than the than the other guys that we were talking about. And probably, I mean, we'll see, we'll see with versatility kind of over time. But, you know, a, a value pick, it seems from what I know for Portland. And they've done a good job in the past of working their guys along slowly. And so he can be a developmental piece. We'll see where Portland's wing rotation is in this year, but I'm guessing they won't have much of a need for Little in the in the 1920 season. And then if he does well, then you can push him on further. And like we just saw them slow play Simons and Little had, you know, kind of a lost year with North Carolina. So they'll have an opportunity there. Yeah, certainly fits in uh, with their need uh, for more athleticism on the wing. Yeah, a concern, I think we even mentioned uh, Mo Harkless a little bit uh, when talking about him, but he, he does kind of fit a little bit into that archetype of both Aminu and Harkless of like, all right, pretty good athleticism, can defend his position, maybe shoot a spot three, but doesn't have the most amazing feel. But again, at 25 to get a guy with his athletic gifts, it, it, he's a player who you understand the theory of him and how he can work out uh, and play. 26, we talked about Dylan Windler already to Cleveland with that pick they got from Houston for taking on Brandon Knight. 27, the Clippers picked this one up in exchange for the 2020 first rounder they got from Philly in the Tobias Harris trade. That's Philly's own pick and also the number 56 overall pick in this draft. Uh, they got Mifiandu Kabengale, I think is how you pronounce his name. Kabengale, sorry. And the M is, is signed. So Fiandu Kabengale. It might be Kabengale, actually. Yeah, Kabengale, sorry. Fiandu Kabengale, gripping radio. He's got some shooting ability, uh, almost 22 uh, at this point, but a pretty athletic guy. Got Sergio Baca comparisons on the ESPN telecast. Not a guy I'm, I'm that familiar with, but has a lot of athleticism. It can be a, a rim protector, dunker, and you know, maybe can add uh, some shooting uh, to that mix uh, in time. So the Clippers uh, clearly liked him. And in fact, because they traded a future pick to get this one, they actually cut into their cap space uh, for this year. Now they have plenty of options to move players who are on good contracts should they need to open up the, the double max space. So it's not a huge concern for them. And they were going to need to make moves to open up double max space, regardless of whether they took on the, this pick or not. Uh, what do you think of the value of this pick 27 overall? this year compared to what Philly's pick is going to be next year that that pick in the original trade was protected by Philly just lotto protected for 2020 through 22 so I mean there are some draft specific draft things that we don't know like with next year's class but I, I think that it's reasonable to expect that Philly you know it's more likely than not that they won't pick they won't have one of the four best records in the league just because injuries can hit anybody and you never know and yeah and and, and, and it seems like they're going to be much more fastidious about resting Joel Embiid and that he is even going to be on board with that yeah so the, that's significant but also I want to compare that to what Boston got for 24 because so for 24 they got Milwaukee's pick for next year I think the Bucks are going to have a better record than the Sixers but Boston also got off of Aaron Baines's contract so if they saw that as negative value you could make an argument that they that they got a better overall deal despite even if we agree that they got a worse draft asset I think Milwaukee probably ends up having a better record than Philly next year and that Philly also has a little bit more downside if Butler and Harris maybe were to leave if Embiid were to get hurt uh so I, I think I do now you're you pay a premium to get a pick now as opposed to later so I mean it seems about right and they clearly had zoomed in on Kabegnale Kabegnale sorry hopefully this site that I'm getting these from is actually correct or I'm really making a fool out of myself so if they really believed in that guy this year 
might as well go for it golden state with uh jordan Poole, which was not someone i had even heard of when his name came across the Twitterverse. i had heard his name but i didn't know much about about his game i still don't you know I'm, i might end up watching film at some point more likely at summer league but seems like an offense first guy more of a but you know like a shooter really maybe than anything else but we'll, we'll see we'll see how he fits in but i don't want to speak too much about a guy that i haven't watched much film on instead we can go to the pick that san antonio got from Toronto. well, well should we, can we start talking at this point about bull bull sliding yeah we can do that uh, we can talk about that whenever you want it's it's one of the uh, stories of the night yeah and so you know really after about 10 i was like wow this is really surprising now maybe his medical was terrible he obviously you know 210 pounds had lost to 20 pounds the background as far as his commitment to the game and how good a teammate he is not amazing and he also is a player with some major flaws he's not at all a traditional player just because he's so thin and you know has some weaknesses you could just see these hard-bitten nba scouts and coaches just being like you know this guy is just not tough enough etc etc but for him to fall to 45 with miami and there's a lot of teams where you just felt like hey you know what like just take a swing on this guy even if he has a five percent chance of working out like he could be a really awesome player. and you know i talked about how like jackson hayes drafting a center it's like well this this guy he might be pretty good but he doesn't have any upside you know he's just gonna be a rim runner he's gonna defend there's a lot of guys like that and there's a, a lot of centers but there's not a lot of guys who have the incredible shooting that bolt does and can in theory protect the rim as well and be a, a little bit of a score so around the rim so i still saw there being a, enough upside you know i was like oh what if miami gets there they'll really work on his body you know I, i'm like going through that analysis for each one of these teams and then you know and this isn't a case of like you know cliff alexander is probably the last and alexander i think went completely undrafted in 2014 but alexander you know was a top five recruit went to kansas and never really produced there and then ended up having some issues and getting dismissed from the team like and bull has the injury but like this guy was really productive he averaged like 25 points per 36 minutes he had like the second highest pr of any prospect like you know i get he's got his flaws but i mean the guy was really producing at oregon and so it was a disappointment to me that he fell and who knows maybe he breaks his foot again and he never plays a game or he's not gonna be ready to play next year and that's part of why he fell and uh you know ended up going to denver obviously uh and you know they've experienced with someone like michael porter same type of situation well and, although and, yeah it's something that i think is is notable porter we just have to wait and see with him but i would say generally speaking teams are way too risk averse with players that happen to be dealing with an injury at that moment so like i thought nerland's noel was underdrafted og yeah. and we were probably wrong about that ultimately but. well you saw the guys who were drafted above him i mean yeah well joel Embiid is is the ultimate example well yeah joel Embiid is an example og Ananobi, i think is a great example of this that or carousel Avert. there are a lot of guys who would say okay this guy is unavailable right now most rookies are negative value on their like are not are not positive contributors in the yeah. first year now well, you can, and there's no indication that bowl won't be ready to start the season not that i've heard and so like if what so maybe it's like joel Embiid, it's the risk of recurrence and all those sorts of things but i just as a and i can't speak to his medicals i, I don't have access to it but the idea of availability and and dealing with injuries and interestingly this did not really I, I don't think it really hit OKK at very much, but it, it usually does. And so... Yeah, he went higher than yeah, he was He went higher than he was mocked, but that doesn't usually happen, so... Yeah, so I don't know how much of it is the injury. It could just be more of the character stuff and, like, the perceived sure, sure, lack absolutely of intensity could be. in that sense. But, but when you look at some, as you said, like, these aren't necessarily players that I'm super familiar with, but the there aren't that many players that fall as far as 
as Bull did with the kind of upside that he has. And so at a certain point, the idea is most of these guys are going to wash out anyway. Why not take somebody who's probably going to wash, who who has a very good chance of washing out, but also has that game-changing potential? Yeah, and there's a lot of people who, who you know will hear this or if you go back and talk about this in a year and he hasn't even played or he's just, you know, looked terrible or, or, or whatever. And I'd be like, Nate, like you're full of shit. Like this guy just didn't do anything. Like, and you're saying how all these teams missed an opportunity. And I fully acknowledge it's more likely than not that this guy is not going to work out. Uh, but again, the, the rare combination of skills is up there for me. Um, so, you know, certainly, the, I mean, if you look at some of these teams, like, you know, a Cleveland, you just, you drafted two shooting guards or Golden State where they feel like, oh yeah, we got to get someone who can contribute next year. Well, that got you Jacob Evans last year. So I don't know how good that logic is, but to say, hey, maybe this is the guy who, you know, on his, at the end of his rookie deal, he's really evolved into a unique player and we got him for free at, at the end of this round and yeah you know again maybe he doesn't work out or, or whatever it is but to have that type of an opportunity for a player like this and again this is not cliff alexander this is a guy who really produced when he was healthy at oregon and to not take it when it's you know really hitting big on picks is what makes it for you in the nba that's uh, you know I, I thought that that wasn't the right type of thinking and we'll see you know how he ends up looking for the rest of his career um Keldon Johnson number 29 to San Antonio and said it you know maybe a little bit more of an upside guy too he was ranked a little bit higher coming into the season shot it well from three but not a huge number of attempts that's kind of a stronger but a little bit doughier body but certainly can defend his position that was a big part of the appeal is that the, this guy can do a lot of switching have a lot of defensive versatility not a playmaker defensively you know, I think he only had six blocks all year he doesn't you know get off the ground all that well he, he's doesn't do all that much offensively other than just try to really crash into a bunch of bodies with his strength but at this point in time again getting a, a wing that they desperately need someone with any kind of size to defend on the wing in their pipeline and, and so they got someone like that we already talked about kevin porter and the Cavs night so i think for me i think the way to, to talk about the second round is just to like pick out some players that we thought were interesting or anybody that that builds to a storyline that we haven't necessarily discussed um yeah or guys that i just have some familiarity with sure. uh, uh no Number 35, uh, Marcos Luzada Silva to the Pels. Ultimately, uh, after some uh, trading, that this pick was part of the trade for the number four overall pick uh, from Atlanta to New Orleans. So it's Atlanta's own second rounder this year. Someone who may be stashable for New Orleans. We'll see what ends up happening for them uh, with the, the rest of their roster filling it out. But pretty good size at 6'5", shoots the ball well, plays intensely. I, I liked him pretty well at, at the Hoop Summit. Gets, gets out in transition solid strength for his age i think he could be a, a potentially in time a, a solid three and d type of two guard with a, a few ball skills uh so th- that that one made some sense to me um i can do one yeah so this is more for the story i haven't seen him play much but alan smiley Geech, who was the tw- 39th yeah. pick this is a really interesting tactical thing so he's the, he was the youngest player in the G League last year. I recommend people, uh, Adam Johnson at Two Ways, Ten Days. This is right in his wheelhouse. Wrote a piece about him right after the, uh, I'm guessing you might have had it prepared because we kind of knew where this is going. And so the story here is that Smiley Geach was the youngest guy in the G League this past year. And the Warriors, you know, acquired his G League rights functionally, but he hadn't yet been NBA draft eligible. So he was on the Santa Cruz Warriors.
Warriors this past year and had some nice moments. And then, but since they had no specific rights to him, that's not the way the 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 system works. They basically wanted to, they wanted him, and so it looked originally like the pick that the Warriors got at forty one that that was going to be the Smilegeach pick. Instead, they move they they didn't move up to thirty nine. They independently got thirty nine, giving up the their own twenty twenty one and twenty three seconds plus some cash to the New Orleans Pelicans and drafted him. And so that's really interesting just in terms of the model where this goes, like trying to get a guy in your system and evaluate and all that kind of stuff, because there is this kind of gray area. And, you know, we talked about in RJ Hampton and Ball going to the Rising Stars program instead of to the G League. But this is kind of the idea that I'm guessing can can happen should it shift towards the G League at all. Yeah, although you see the gyrations that Golden State had to go through. Number one, if the guy is a first round pick, you know, you don't really have any control. Once you get into the, you know, the past the first five picks or so of the second round you probably if you're willing to give up enough cash and enough future seconds you can get to where you want to be because just nobody values anyone at quite that much at that level uh you mentioned that they made the trade with atlanta uh to get it number 41 and the thought was that they're gonna try and grab uh smiling each there but then they must have just been afraid that sacramento might get him at 40 and you know he is serbian and he, they had actually stashed him in serbia right after the season was over uh but maybe the thought was that vlade would be interested in him or maybe they just wanted to get uh eric pashal as well pashal is, is an interesting one uh mini draymond is the easy narrative there but he actually shoots it a little bit better than than draymond but as a six seven strong guy you know i'm sure he doesn't have anywhere close to the feet of Draymond. i haven't seen that much of him but you know has some iso post ability pretty good explosion around the basket for that kind of thicker power forward it's funny how the t- like undersized power forward has almost become a compliment like that's how much dream on green uh, has changed people's minds but there's only one dream on green i mean if, if he can become even you know one one thousand so the player that Draymond is uh, he'd be a good pick in that range uh any others you wanted to focus on here no i think that's about it it's been so weird i've watched so little college this year and i've, I've missed a couple hoop summits that i i don't have a strong a strong feel for these guys so that's part of the reason i'm super excited for summer league uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, clutch client to the Lakers, a pick that they bought from the Magic, uh, also gave him a, a future second rounder. He said he had not worked out for the Lakers or talked to anyone there, but he did know LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which was uh, <laughs> that was <laughs> quite amusing for uh, those who would say that clutch is actually in control of the Lakers at this point in time. And yeah, I think that's about all I got here. Um, you want to talk like uh, winners and losers? Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the most intriguing things about the night for me is that I don't think there was anybody other than maybe the Pistons just because I love the Seku pick so much and they got him so late and then you could say Denver for some more reasons with Bull Bull that you know like nobody who had a ton of assets that I think got everything right there are a lot of teams that did numerous pieces like I liked a lot of what Cleveland did I liked you know New Orleans their night overall even though I actively dislike the Jackson Hayes pick so yeah I mean I, I, that was one of the interesting things for me I don't think like for me of the of the teams with really high stakes I don't think anybody hit a grand slam but a lot of teams hit, did really well yeah i mean new orleans certainly did great in the asset game sure. if they had just drafted someone else instead of hayes then I, I think I would have been really, really high uh, on their night. Yeah, I mean, some of these guys, these teams that just, you know, a guy that we liked fell to them. And there weren't even really that many of those guys either. You know, Nasir Little, I, I wasn't that high on. You know, I wasn't like, oh man, I can't believe this guy's falling. Somebody's got to take him. You know, I wasn't, I didn't think of him at that type of level. Um, you know, this, the Celtics, uh, their night was interesting. I think that part of the reason that they did those trades back 
was because they just didn't want to have three first rounders uh, on their team this year and, and also obviously uh to save some money as well so uh, oh that's a weird a weird up, thing we yeah. didn't talk about we didn't talk about the the sixers wizards trade oh yeah that's right we did miss that one so out. because we didn't because the the 42nd pick was not somebody we we're familiar with so basically what happened there was the wizards had it had they have a trade exception and they were able to take in jonathan simmons now they could just keep jonathan simmons he makes 5.7 million dollars for next season they could keep him if they want to i i don't think he's worth that money i mean he was he was pretty awful this past year i would be extremely and so instead they got you the other way to think about this is okay then washington took in they took on a million in guaranteed salary as long as they waive him before his guarantee date which i believe is july 1st so that's a way of doing it and i i'm guessing that there's some cash involved here as well but if but that's a pretty good i mean to get the 42nd pick we talked about 45 as the dividing line taking on a million in cap space is i mean that that's a pretty good deal for washington yeah no that's good and this is a move that they're one of the few teams that they could make because they actually had a trade exception large enough remember that now he counts as the full non-guaranteed salary incoming for washington so they needed a trade exception you know as large as the 5.7 million that he's owed as a non-guarantee this year to take him in there's not that many teams out there with trade exceptions like that so and because this guarantee day is july 1st they needed someone who could complete the deal now and then waive him before the rest of that 5.7 million guarantees washington also very unlikely to keep him because they're five million dollars over the cap even account for the one million dollar waiver of Simmons but then that includes cap holds for Sadoransky, Portis and Thomas Bryan who are all restricted free agents but those guys are probably combined are going to make more than their cap holds would if they wanted to use the full mid-level exception staying over the cap you know they've really got about 15 million dollars up until they'd hit the tax uh, including those cap holds already so adding another 4.7 million for a a player who's not been good in the last couple of years it wouldn't really make much sense uh, for them even if they do need to get better defensively um so uh, biggest losers you know this will shock you i still don't really quite understand what the plan is in phoenix um you know i wouldn't have been in huge favor of them going after d'angelo russell and giving him a max contract and restricted free agency but that's not necessarily available now uh you know they could make some other moves to open that space up they could move on from josh jackson to open up enough room um i don't, I don't know if there's a team that would just take josh jackson into space at this point or even. they could like stretch tyler johnson they're they're yeah no yeah so if d'angelo russell really wants to come there and they think they can get him uh you know and it's going to take the max they could do that i wouldn't endorse that especially because while well, he and Devin Booker are great friends. I don't find their fit, especially defensively, uh, to make a lot of sense. Um, and you know, getting Cam Johnson—that was uh, the reach of the night. Now, if he turns out to be even you know a starter level of player, it's well worth it. And you know, Sharich to me is just kind of you know again doesn't really fit into me with what they need. You know, getting more shooting around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton—that makes sense to me. Cam Johnson charge uh, provide that they need more passing as well on this team charge could provide that a little bit um so offensively i think it, it makes a little bit more sense but just the idea of like how the hell we're gonna stop anybody now and over the next three years uh, really doesn't seem to come into much focus 
Uh, you know, Atlanta, I think, again, if DeAndre Hunter can play, and, you know, now we're talking about number four, we're not talking about number 11, so the standard for success is a little bit higher there. But you know, if he turns into a high-level starter who, who really fits around their guys, that, that trade maybe en- ends up being worth it. But, man, I mean, to take on Hill and to give up the draft picks uh, that they did, well, that seemed like uh, too much to me for Hunter. There's also a point here, and I'm sure this is going to happen with the Hawks draft, is remember that what they came into the draft with. Like this is, it's not a circumstance like, hey, ending up with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, you know, that's a pretty good haul for most teams. But when you start with eight and 10 and 17 and 35 and all these, and you condense it into those, it's a little bit different than just just pulling those guys out of whole cloth. And so the resources that they committed to it, we'll, we'll have to see. I think I'm a little bit more optimistic than you, but I'm not super optimistic. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't work. I just, it's, from the it's asset game, I'm a little, yeah, and it's just, you know, to trade up for a guy to get pay that kind of a premium in both the salary and the number of picks i mean if you think about it they gave up 8 17 three pretty darn good looking first second round picks and then probably two more good seconds worth of value to take on solomon hill's contract so 8 17 and five seconds worth of value if that's how you want to look at it i mean think of what you can get with five second rounders you know at the trade deadline for example um so that's uh now if hunter had like real star potential i would be a little bit more on, on board with that but yeah it didn't didn't make that much sense to me the warriors just getting kind of a you know and not really you know again a guy i don't see who has like a ton of upside if he's not going to be a good defensive player which is not his reputation you know can this guy really be someone who is going to be a part of this team at, at the highest levels if they get back into contention maybe not again if you get anyone who can play at all and they actually have to be a little worried about the regular season this year but you know at 28 you're not going to get a contributor for the regular season most likely anyway but we'll see you know i mean a lot of like landry shaman is oh this guy's never going to hold up defensively he's not a point guard and you know he totally defied his expectations in becoming a successful player so it's not to say that he can't be that good i'm not that familiar with him so i'm not i'm not going to jump wholeheartedly on that train i didn't really think the kevin porter thing made much sense for cleveland for some of the reasons we talked about it just you know how many of these guys guys are you going to have who are just ball dominant shot creator guys and they paid a pretty penny to go get him not that i care about the cash at all dan gilbert continues to get credit to me for uh spending i I like the theory of what memphis did obviously morant is great but uh, i think clark really fits into a vision if he can contribute even as just an energy type of big you know you could see him maybe being sort of a dwight powell type of five for the second unit also maybe play a little bit among uh, alongside jaron as well the versatility of Jaron, I think, gives them a, some more options than some teams might have with a player like Clark. I'm interested. Uh, we didn't mention them as a winner, but I and it's more just because the right guys fell to them. But sh- I think things worked out really well for Chicago. That yeah, getting, that's another getting one too. Kobe yeah, White, Kobe and White, then yeah. I mean, the story of Daniel Gafford is 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 crazy. I mean, he was talked about as a potential lottery pick last year. I don't think he would have ended up in the lottery just with how that worked out, but. If you if you are this is my advice if if a player you know they can have their own reasons but if you are a first round pick leave because you never know where it's going to go from there and there's a big difference most of the time between the rookie scale contract especially now that they've been fortified and what you get in the second round so I I think even if you feel pretty solid about being a second rounder you should leave frankly I mean if you're if you're good you're going to 
play and it'll be obvious and you'll get a second contract if you're not maybe you go overseas or whatever but you still you start the clock earlier you can always go back to school later now the counter example we haven't seen this in a while um Nikhil alexander walker and pj washington probably both improved their stock they went higher than they would have gone had they come out last year i think both those guys got better but it was also overall considered a weaker draft and that might have been part of it as well but yeah i mean there obviously are guys whose stock dropped as well who went back to school and generally i think that's more like i think you're you know there's this thing oh my god what if i declare and then i don't get picked as high as i want to me it's a much greater risk to stay in school another year and either get hurt or not play the way you want to or you know the league decides that players of your ilk don't fit in the modern nba or whatever it is what so, and yeah, you're I mean, not getting paid for that year while. yes yeah that's i mean yeah so people think of of risk as like you know oh you you have something already like you're losing your college eligibility right people think of risk as like if you make a change you are taking a risk whereas you know a lot of times i think you have to look at the risk from not making a change which in this case would be declaring and we've seen a lot more guys declare than ever before and you know if you go and draft it especially with two ways now as, as well you know it's not, it's not the end of the world um okay real quickly here caleb swanigan award for the player who just doesn't really seem like a great fit in the modern nba even if he might be good at the things he's supposed to be good at hmm i I kind of think i i I think i need to defer until we see summer league because i just there are enough of these guys i'm guessing it's gonna be somebody i don't know yet so yeah i mean the two that stick out to me are uh pj washington to charlotte at 12 and uh at 18 to to indiana but both of those guys at least you know have some shooting ability Batadze can block some shots you know he's there's uh you know we haven't uh, there's no one even close to as bad as some of the ones that are you're just like like swanigan to, to whom this award is named after where you're just like okay you know this guy's like pretty ground bound center size but he can't protect the rim you know not a great shooter can't really defend you know just sort of like a power forward charles oakley type of your that just you know doesn't exist in today's game anymore uh best value pick it has to be bull i mean seku number two yeah i, I might go with seku uh, i mean just a lot of times when guys fall like there might that be something badly, else yeah that's yeah i mean there, there's you know i've learned that both in the free agent market like keep in mind like patrick patterson from a couple of years ago for example we're like we can't believe he only got five million a year like uh all these teams miss out or, or, or oh, caspi yeah, getting the minimum yeah um so i just to, just to give some respect to our our uh executive friends in the league oh, here that they might absolutely. know what they're doing yeah and and also that they have information that we are not privy to right, right. yeah that i mean that that's a, basically another way of sure what I was oh and and so. another one we should mention for value is this year a little yeah um yeah i think kobe white at seven actually is it could end up being pretty good value i mean i had him four on my board uh you know i had him above rj barrett worst value cam johnson seems like he's in that, that conversation yeah I'll pro- i would probably go with hayes again just because of all the fit concerns in new orleans i you know i don't have as much of an opinion of like okay uh, well he's definitely a project number one but is he going to be able to do the things that he can do but it's just yeah that's just both in terms of finding that in free agency i mean just look at like christian wood for example who they already have on their roster as a guy that they got completely for free off a waiver it wouldn't shock me if like christian wood ends up being better than jackson Hayes or or mitchell robinson last year who was number 36 or or, you know robert williams Uh, we guys we talked about already all right we're starting to repeat ourselves here um all right i think we can uh, wrap it up here and uh anything to talk about before we go there will be a new real gym radio out before the next dunked on i i don't i'm guessing it's going to be recorded friday morning um and it's it'll be 
with Dan Feldman. We're we're recording. I'm going to have Sam Vecini on next week. He wanted to take some time to process the draft. So I'm going to do, you know, that one with Dan's going to be a mix of everything that's happened. And then Sam is going to be draft only. And then I'm working on a few pieces for the athletics. So those will be out in the near term. Probably going to do a big picture draft thing and then have like a piece on base your compensation and a few other things that'll be coming out soon. All right. And uh, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. We've been publishing uh, the new salary sheets uh, after all these transactions. We'll continue to do that of course for those who want to really see what these teams cap pictures look like both for this year and going forward we're going to have our mailbag podcast as well in the next few days and uh stay with us through free agency but i know you're a loyal listener already why am i trying to sell you uh we'll talk to you next time at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.